This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 153 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. The Panthers ended the month of October with a 3-1 record after their win over ODU last Saturday. On this pod, we'll review that game with the Monarchs and preview the upcoming trip to Southern Miss. We've also got live basketball to discuss as both the men's and women's teams were in exhibition action this week. But first, let's talk about that football game. It was a 31-17 win over Old Dominion. In a game that was tied at 14 at the break, the Panthers took control with two touchdowns in the space of 58 seconds in the third quarter as they outscored Old Dominion 17-3 in the second half to pull away with a double-digit win. The defense had their best game of the season, holding the Monarchs to just 26 yards rushing and a season-low 283 yards from scrimmage, aided in both categories by six sacks on the day. Darren Granger topped 100 yards rushing for the second straight game and was an efficient 14 of 21 for 195 yards through the air while Tucker Gregg set a new program record in the win, passing Trey Barnett for the most career rushing yards in a Georgia State uniform. He now has 2,165 yards in his time in Atlanta. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the victory over the Monarchs? It, It really was that Godfather 3 meme, you know, just when I was out, they pulled me back in for a lot of people because after the App State loss, there was a lot of reason to be kind of down on the team's prospects because you hadn't seen them lose the way they lost that game, maybe since 2018, if even then, where they just got beat back in the way that they like beating teams back. And then in this game, they come in and kind of controlled the lines in both sides of the ball, especially on defense. And the defense played their best game of the season. I mean, I know the point total was three points more than against Army, but this performance blew that one out of the water for me. I think they just played out of their minds good. Easily. And it's funny you say that because when I was writing up the in-depth piece this week, I was going to put something to the effect of, yeah, you know, they held their opponent to the lowest point total this season it was just easily the best and then i went through and looked at all the scores and i was like wait oh crap (laughs) old dominion actually outscored army but no it i know that we've had this thought this year on the podcast that like yards you know aren't super important like yards allowed aren't super important but that was a defensive thrashing like i'm sorry that they completely dominated that game and outside of literally two plays old dominion's yards gained should not have looked as good as it does well i mean that's like it doesn't not matter it's just like if you hold a team to 14 like in the army game where they gave up a fair amount of rushing yards but it didn't lead to points it that's where it can lie to you a little bit and it's also like at the polar ends it matters like when you hold a team under 300 total yards that matters that tells you it's very hard to do that and not have a good game defensively and then the other side if you give up like 600 yards on defense that tells a lot of a story too but i think that you know it's all irrelevant because the performance was just good on its own you don't even have to get into the nitty-gritty with it you can just look at the six sacks and yeah like you say i mean odu hit on that big touchdown to take their lead seven nothing and late in the game they had that big catch downfield that there was some iffy tackling and it uh, led to odu getting the field goal range but it's all out there at a field goal and kind of outside of those plays and really just on a down to down basis, ODU couldn't continually move the ball. And Hayden Wolf was getting put into 
obvious passing situations because the defense was winning on first and second down. And you finally, there was a sack again. I tweeted out the Titanic picture. It's been 84 years. It's felt like 84 years since the Charlotte game last time they had a sack and they made up for last time with six of them. You know, if they got to six, might as well get to seven and completely double the number going into uh, this game. But I mean, sacks are coach. LA has been a couple of times have been like, you know, sacks are just the nature of like, a little bit random, which to a degree they are, but I still think in a game that you get six of them, it says you were pretty good. And it's more than just randomness to that game. You got six. It's more like that pass rush was eating. The, I, okay. So I understand his thought process, but I agree with you. It wasn't random that they were getting six sacks. It was just the guys up front, Dennis score. They were destroying their competition. It was not close. Like it honestly looked as bad as the app state offensive line looked good the week before and you know like you said in the beginning about them bringing you back i mean let's be honest this was the defensive performance that we thought was we were going to see on a regular basis coming in the defensive line disgusting the linebackers really good i thought the coverage honestly i thought the coverage all day was also good there was a lot of really good tackling that was done outside of the big plays you know which okay i mean it's still college football like i understand and you know you you don't want to excuse it but it does happen but you know outside of those two plays the tackling wasn't an issue the coverage wasn't an issue and it it really was a top to bottom, just complete defensive performance. And especially in the second half, you know, like they went into halftime ending the, you know, games without a sack streak. They had a, a sack in the first half, but you really just watch the second half and you just see a team that just took away everything that they want, that old dominion wanted to do. You know, last week you mentioned, um, Ali Jennings, it's a guy that, you know, you really got to watch out for. He was a non-factor, Tr- truthfully. Like, I know that uh, Quay White went out for, like, a little bit of a spell, and then they moved Bryqueis on him. That was the only time that he really became a factor. And Bryqueis started winning the battles after that anyways. Like, it, it truthfully was impressive because I was very worried that he was going to burn Georgia State. I, I thought Georgia State could withstand a, you know, a Jennings onslaught, but I mean, he's been burning everybody. It was going to be a very tall task for Georgia State to cover him, and they did a phenomenal job. Yeah, and the other thing about the defensive performance we haven't talked about, you mentioned the linebacker play was good. Justin Abraham had a great game. He capped it off with that interception to ice it, ice it, even though it was still going to be a mountain to climb even if ODU doesn't throw that pick there. He didn't know he was starting until very late on before the game started. Coach Elliott was saying before, Details a little bit hazy, but basically it sounded like Jordan Jones fell down, like tripped on some stairs, like at the stadium on the day of. And it was like, hey, Justin, you're starting. Go on. And I wonder if that helped to have just no time to think about it. Whereas Blake was out in that uh, Charlotte game um, and then the next game against Coastal, they had not that much time, but they still had those couple of days where it was like you're in there and all you're going to do is think about how you're starting for Georgia state the next couple of days. And that might've had an impact because right early in the game is when he got burned on a couple of plays that led to some big plays for coastal really good performance in this game. And after the game, someone asked him about just like, how did you feel like what got you ready? And he, <laughs> I love the honest answer. Cause he's like, to be honest, I wasn't ready. 
but then I just went out there and remembered it's the game I've been playing for years and I got out there and just played football and loved that legendary stuff there. That type of stuff is important. You know, sometimes I'm not going to say that, you know, Georgia state players have been thinking too much on the field because that's not for me to say, but you know, sometimes you really do just as they say, pull your ears back and just play football. You know, you're you are good enough to play D1 football. You clearly have some level of talent. So just go out there and, you know, play to your abilities. And I thought that Abraham did a good job of doing that. You know, I I, and I, I don't think there's anything that he did on Saturday that leads to me, leads me to believe that he can't be a capable linebacker on this team. And it was never going to be a positive that you lose a guy like Blake Carroll, locker room, like leader. He's still out there on the sidelines on his crutches, supporting the team, which is good to see during the games. But like long term, into 2023, to say nothing of the rest of this season, it's been good that those young guys have gotten reps and they've spread it around because, you know, now Jordan was hurt and missed this game. So Justin got to start. JT Ellis got in there for the first time at linebacker, got, I think, 14 snaps on the day. So I think it's never like a blessing in disguise situation, but it's not the first time the Georgia State's had an injury on the defensive side. You know, Ed Curdy went down in the 2019 season and a couple of younger guys got reps down this year and it definitely gave them a little bit of a platform to build on going in the future. And I think you're already starting to see them kind of find it at this level. And, you know, it's hard to just do that on a snap of a finger when you haven't had any reps, really. And now that they're a month in, they look like they've been playing a month more. And that is important. And with the other guys that have been making plays, especially the defensive front in this game, it's not like they're getting the world asked for them. They've just got to do their assignment. Did that to a T on Saturday against ODU. And, you know, it's it's about time, I will say. Like, I think especially after the game against App State. You know, short week games are hard. I know they had the bye, but, you know, even the bye helps, certainly, but you're still off of your normal schedule. Like a half bye. Right, exactly. Um, And so it was nice to see that they played comfortable. I I think, honestly, by just both sides of the ball, they just looked like the Georgia State that we know that they can be. You know, and like, I think... There are there are spots that we can nitpick a little bit, you know, like obviously it wasn't like a a crazy passing day or anything like that. But I liked the spots that they did throw it. I liked how they were playing. And, I you know, I really liked how confident Darren looked. Um, you know, I, I guess we can just segue to offense now that I'm just starting to talk about it. But I was going to if you were going to, so go ahead. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think to put a pin on the defense and to, you know, bring it to offense, I, it just, it looked like the team was confident and they knew what they were doing. And they, even when they made quote unquote mistakes, they just had control of what they were doing. And that to me is so important because it's a good team. We know that it's a good team. The record is what it is. Like I, it might not be the team that we thought, you know, and that sucks, whatever. But it is there is still talent on the team. And, you know, like I like I just mentioned, Darren looked it, it was a bounce back game. We knew he had to come out with a good game, you know, and it, it, it wasn't just the oh, he got one hundred and nine yards. That's great. Obviously, you know, he's giving Tucker a run for his money on the season line. But it's just it's the confidence in which he was running the ball. That to me mattered so much more than the final total. 
Yeah, and to your thing you were just saying about just like not letting anything phase them, that felt really important because the game starts out, they go turnover and downs in their own territory. They go for it in the short yardage situation. Got stuffed on two of them. The second one was on fourth down, and it's ODU ball at, I think, the 41 of Georgia State, and it's like, well, that's not how you want to start. The defense forces one of their own. And, you know, that kind of trend continued through the game where they didn't play perfectly clean game, but that's basically never going to happen. But basically any opportunity they had to make up for a mistake, they did. You know, Talik Williams fumbles in the red zone. Pretty bad fumble, you know, can't happen. ODU falls on it. The defense walls up there, forces the three and out inside ODU's own 10. A false start moves them back to the four. The punter has to just kind of like walk up two steps and just kind of barely get anything on it to get the punt off. Talik is the return man on that punt and returns it 28 yards to the nine-yard line. And it's basically like the fumble never happened and he moved the ball up about 10 yards down the field. And, you know, again, missed field goal, blocked field goal right at the end of the half, the first half. It's tied at 14. Disappointing moment, did not get any points on that drive. And just getting a field goal blocked always feels bad, even though it is something that ODU... I think it was their ninth in the last two seasons. So it's definitely something they've come in and emphasized with uh, Coach Ronnie. Defense gets that first sack that you mentioned. And then ODU does nothing with that. It goes to halftime, and then they took over in the second half. It just, mistakes have been happening throughout the season, and they've been kind of stacking on top of each other, where the mistake leads to a touchdown drive, or, you know, so the block punts against South Carolina that directly lead to scores and stuff like that, where... In this game, they didn't let anything set them back. They just kind of got onto the next play, which is always the cliche the coaches say, but it's easier said than done. They were able to do that. And the other thing I wanted to mention is just it's tied at 14. They go on the first of two long AF drives. I think the first one was about a hair under eight minutes. Touchdown makes it 21-14. Third down on the next ODU drive, the first set of downs. Strip sack by Thomas Gore. Javon Dennis gets it at the 11. Marcus Carroll, the next play, 11-yard touchdown run untouched. I don't think there's been a sequence like that in any Georgia State game this year. Just where they have, in a minute of play, completely flipped it on its head. And that kind of changed the game. And you put a capper on that with the second long AF drive that went 10 minutes and got that field goal. And at that point, with how much they had taken off the clock, you could tell they went pretty conservative in the red zone. They weren't going to try and put the ball in harm's way. And so a field goal there, the one red zone trip outside of the fumble that technically counted as a red zone trip that didn't end in a touchdown, you're kind of okay with because you didn't want to risk it there. And the three score lead was all that mattered. And then ODU didn't really have a path back. I wanted to get back to that third down point because Georgia State did a really good job on third down. They only had five third and shorts. Like they, by our definitions of on schedule, they weren't on schedule for most of the game, but they were very effective in picking up those third downs when they had to. You know, their average yard gain on third down was a little bit over their average third down distance to go. That's huge. That's, I mean, the number was only 41.1%. 41.2 percent which you know could be higher but that's probably a, a good number for just an individual game um but you know like they they rushed the ball so effectively on third down they got 60 yards on third down that's huge and 
you know, I don't think the rushing attack was like great. Like they got over 200 yards and that's just kind of been the norm. It's the only, you know, the only game they haven't gotten over 200 yards is the South Carolina game. It felt like there were some yards left on the table. It didn't feel like they were like dominant as far as just like yards per carry. It was in the threes, but it was enough. And I think switching from tempo very early on to in the second half, realizing that just milking the clock was going to be the way to go. I thought it was an interesting move because we know that coach Elliott really likes to go to that tempo and he likes to lean on that as like what this team's identity is. I would be interested to see them keep doing the slower and just work in this ball control and get these long drives going just the rest of the season, because I think it is a different way they can lean on their strength of the run game. And in this game, it just, I mean, those two drives were just absolutely killer. And we've seen the other side of that when coastal did it to Georgia state in that game earlier this year. And we saw it when Georgia state did it to Charlotte and just killed that game off in 2021. And I don't know that we've seen them try to play that way that often, because I think they want to do the tempo and, you know, they want to involve the passing game. They want to do it all. And the situation doesn't always dictate it's the right move, but it definitely was on Saturday, especially because very clearly early on, ODU was handling the tempo fine and it worked out and you got everything sorted and you ended up with a comfortable win in large part because you kind of just flipped an offensive philosophy on the fly. And I think part of that is, you know, the offensive line isn't creating the holes that we're usually accustomed to seeing. And if they were getting a little bit better push, I think the tempo would work just because the holes would be there, which, you know, the short yardage would be a little bit better. The big plays would be there, but you're right. You know, they were able to still use smart running. They were able to kind of work some things outside um, and, you know, use the speed of the runners, whether that be Darren, you know, Tucker um, or honestly jam as well. Like jam, you know, had a good run good Marcus Carroll drive on that one mm-hmm. he got robbed of the first touch and I'm glad he got the second one because on replay it looked like he might have had it I'm surprised they didn't look at it at all yeah that was play. weird he was he was he honestly did look like he broke the plane with the ball and I'm shocked that they I didn't don't look know at it either. I, I got like multiple looks at it I can't say definitively they got it wrong I'm just surprised they didn't stop play right and it was it, that it was that awkward thing where like on the second down nothing happened and it was like this would be really one of those moments where it's like Maybe you got in, it didn't get reviewed, and then like you turn over on downs on the one because you didn't get that road of touchdown. But on the third down, Darren pulled it and got a touchdown, and they moved on, got points on that drive, and it was nothing. But And then it was nothing because Marcus got his touchdown anyway. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it is nice to see an offensive wrinkle happen for this team that isn't just them, you know, kind of switching to the pass and not having success. Like they had to kind of change what they wanted to do. And I, it was very, very successful. You know, and just going forward, it feels like they're still fighting. It feels like they're still trying things like we were just talking about with the offensive change. And, you know, they're three and five. They've the path to winning a Sunbelt East is pretty slim. Going to rely on a lot of help from outside, but you're not technically out of it. And it's November still. Uh, Marshall's the three loss team in the East and they're the only team you really feel are like officially, officially out of contention. But, you know, just taking this forward is going to be important because, you know, November, the, the thing that I didn't necessarily realize until I was like getting ready for this week, just looking back at the month that was Georgia State was three and one in October 
And just because of how the App State game went, it doesn't feel like it. But they had a really good October. And kind of reset where they were at in a similar way to how they did it in 2021, starting one and four. It's still, you know, there's still a, a mountain to climb because you play three on the road in November. Nothing is for certain as far as that goes, but it's kind of at the midway point that it was at last year where it was like, all right, you reset things kind of like after that um, ULM Texas state game, the Georgia Southern game. Now you got to do the rest of the work going into the rest of the season. I'll do you one better than Georgia state was just three and one in October. They hit their season high in points. They tied it against Georgia Southern. They scored 30 and they scored exactly 31 points in the other two wins. In all three of the wins, they either gave up less than 20 points or, I mean, Southern got, that wasn't a cheap touchdown, but like the game was already out of hand when Southern scored their last score. So they could have been under 30 in all three of the games. It's great that they were under 20 in them, but you're absolutely correct. The App State game was so sour that you forget that it was a really good October, like you said. And, you know, friend of the pod, Scott Watkins, tweeted something when Georgia State was up 14-0 against App State, and it, it definitely made me laugh. And he was like, you know... Every year, Sean Elliott teams just kind of turn a light switch on and remember that they're really good. And it, it's just it's funny because it happens every year. And I was thinking about it and it's just like it's it's honestly becoming a trend now. And every year we have the same conversation when it comes to out of conference. It's like, man, they're going to flip a switch. They're a good team like the bones are there. If they just play like midseason Georgia State from week one. Who knows where what their ceiling could be? And, I will you know, give permission for people if 2023 starts out how this one or last year did to complain because they play Rhode Island, UConn, and Charlotte in their first three games. It is not the same at all. If it, With the experience they had coming back this year, you were kind of hoping they could buck the trend this year, but next year there's no schedule baked in reason why they should start out slow. Like It should be a good start to the 2023 t- season for Georgia State. It absolutely should. And, you know, it's I don't know where they're going to end up this year. You know, the four games in November are significantly more difficult than the four games were in October. But I don't know that I can look at the schedule and just outright say that's anybody should just outright be Georgia State. I think Georgia State can hang with everybody who's on their schedule. And that's why that's why the beginning of the season this year is so frustrating because of the hole they will have to climb out of in order to go to a bowl game. It's certainly possible. You know, they have three wins. I, I can't guarantee that they'll actually go to a game. But I mean, six wins is certainly there. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to this weekend's game, which is at Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, 3 p.m. Saturday on ESPN+. The Golden Eagles come into this game winners of three straight, beating Louisiana 39-24 in a national TV game last Thursday night. They're now one win away from bowl eligibility at 5-3 and and are coached by Will Hall in his second season in Hattiesburg. He is 8-12. and there and 64 and 32 as a head coach overall dating back to his time at west alabama and west georgia this will be the first time that these teams have met on the football field so gentlemen thoughts on the golden eagles yeah i mean i they've improved like you if you're southern miss fan you would have hoped they would have done in year two um 
they have really been tenacious on defense. And that's the thing that's going to stand out for this game because I really don't see either team pushing into the 30s in this game. I just, the way I see it just at a base level, and we'll get into the details here in a second, is just kind of like someone makes the plays down the stretch and wins the game like 24-21 or something because Southern Miss is going to be a test for this rush offense for Georgia State because they lead the Sun Belt in tackles for losses. And they just play really hard on defense, and they're playing confident right now. They've played some less good Sunbelt rushing teams recently. You know, they gave up, I think, 101 to Troy, who's not that good of a rushing offense. Texas State, they held under 100. They did a good job against Louisiana. Georgia State's better than all of those teams at rushing, but it's still going to be a test because they have gotten to this point in the season. They've won three straight. Like, they are going to be, you know, they're one game from getting a bowl eligibility. It's going to be a confident bunch. And so it it does still present those challenges that I, I think it's still going to be where Georgia State's going to try to go. And like I said, when we're talking about ODU, there's only been one game that Georgia State has not gotten 100, um, got to 200 yards rushing. So I'd still probably expect them to get there just because of what they've been doing. But it's going to be about finding a way to make some big plays happen because you know, down to distance, down to distance, it's kind of like how Georgia State played against ODU. Southern Miss has been able to just win against teams defensively, and that's been the thing they can, they've been hanging their hat on through this uh, five and three start. And you know, the thing about Southern Miss's rushing defense is they. It seems like whatever situational football they didn't play when they gave up 244 to Liberty in week one, and they only lost that game by two, they fixed against Tulane. Tulane rushed for 204 yards. Southern Miss won that game by three. You know, that's Tulane's only loss this year as well. So ranked current G5 Access Bowl favorite Tulane. Exactly. You know, so whatever Southern Miss is doing, you know, you mentioned the level of rushing competition is not where Georgia State is. You know, Georgia State leads the Sun Belt in rushing. Um, but still, it, it's going to be that those yards are not going to just fly like we're used to seeing for Georgia State. So it's definitely going to be important for them to continue what they're doing on offense. And I think it's I, I will I want to commend Southern Miss. I think they're they have so far this season been a little bit better than I expected. Um, obviously Tulane being their best win, you know, they played Troy close. Troy is the West leaders right now. So, you know, some belt leaders right now. That's true. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying in general, I think that Troy is the best team in the conference. Pausing for dramatic effect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll ship that. Um, so, you know, you can't really be too mad about the Golden Eagles losing there. That's just kind of how that was. But they, like you said, the def- the defense has been crazy. That game last week against Louisiana, I mean, Louisiana put up 24 points. And, like, that's not a high number. But you think, oh, okay, they, you know, kind of scored. They really struggled to get even those 24 points. Um, it really was a battle for them. Uh, they, I mean... Yes, obviously they scored 16 in the second half, but excuse me, they scored 13 in the second half. But yeah, it's just really offense did not come easy for Louisiana. Um, You know, the four turnovers that they forced, like it was 
a tenacious bunch. You know, that's the type of defense that we have been talking about Georgia State being. And, you know, Southern Miss just really just found ways to get off the field. And, you know, I mean, it's going to be really important for Georgia State to take care of the ball. You know, at times this season, that that has been a struggle. You know, they've kept the turnover margin battle in their favor by being able to get some turnovers, even when they've lost some games. But, you know, this is not going to be a team where you can just be careless with the ball because they'll definitely make you pay for it. On the flip side, that is the one thing you can look at at Southern Miss and say that seems like the area they need to clean up because they have 19 offensive turnovers this year. They've forced 14 turnovers, which is a pretty decent number. Uh, but they're minus five turnover differential because the offense has given up a lot themselves. And it starts with 12 interceptions, nine of them from their freshman quarterback, Zach Wilkie, which he has made strides and they're doing a thing where they're starting a freshman quarterback and they are really trying to build him up. And it's a thing that quarter uh, college back college football coaches are less willing to do because sometimes you take lumps and sometimes freshmen throw interceptions and, and make some throws they shouldn't make. But it's certainly, um, you know, betting on your system to build a guy. And it usually leads to a lot of success because, you know, you Levi Lewis. He played, I think, all four years at Louisiana. He worked his way up. And a big part of why Louisiana was able to be just year in, year out, consistently at the top of the West is developed a really good quarterback who fit the system and that knew everything really well, knew the personnel. And so... Long-term, I think it's probably a good bet for Will Hall. He's got a guy he likes, and you know they're trusting him as a freshman to run the offense. And like I say, he's been growing, but there's a chance you're going to be able to take advantage of some mistakes in this game. And as we have talked about on, even when the defense has struggled more than they did in the last game, they've been forcing turnovers. And you know, there might be opportunities for Quay White to add to his interception lead in Georgia State history or hit stick lane to get back in there. You know, he started the year with that interception lead for Georgia State career history and Quay passed him and he's not got one on the year yet. And it was uh, the uh, ULM game on the road last year where Antavius Lane got his first interception. So maybe another road trip west of Atlanta is the ticket for him to open that account in 2022. You know, speaking of the passing game, but on, you know, for Georgia State, I'm curious to see how they attack Southern Miss simply because Southern Miss statistically has not been as successful as some other Sunbelt teams in terms of passing yards per game. Um, you know, they've given up. They, they've it seems done a decent job of at least keeping out of the end zone. I mean, Arkansas state has given up 22 passing touchdowns this year. Southern miss for comparison has only given up 12, but I'm very curious to see how the pass defense is for them. Because I mean, this is a team that leads the Sun Belt in sacks, you know, I don't even think we mentioned that Georgia state, you know, it's no longer the worst sack team in the conference. Well, congratulations. This is the best sack team in the conference, you know? So it's weird that they would be so middle of the road to below average when they have gotten as many sacks that they have gotten. Yeah. Louisiana was able to give Woldridge time in the game and he racked up a lot of yardage against Southern Miss. Um, and it was because he could hang back and wait for guys to get open. They took some deep shots that they hit on. So knowing what Georgia State's strengths are in the passing game, it's that getting those deep shots to thrash and 
you know, we didn't talk about it at all that there was no Robert Lewis, there was no Jakaius Cradle in the last game against ODU. And it didn't really matter because Kadarius Thompson made a couple of good catches, kind of filling that cradle role. And Talik Williams, we talked about his punt return, but he had a couple of nice catches in the passing game as well. It was Jordan's pick to break out in the second half. So I'm going to give Jordan a shout out there for nailing that one because he had an opportunity. He had a couple of opportunities in multiple phases of the game and made the most of it. Sometimes I'm smart. Sometimes Jordan is smart. Jordan knows ball. Jordan certainly does know ball. But we'll see where that goes the next game with the opportunities, you know, if Lewis or Cradle or both are back. But we know that the deep shots are still going to be a part of what George State's trying to do with their passing attack. And if the pass protection holds up, those opportunities might be there because I think that that is where Southern Miss has gotten bitten sometimes with some of the big plays in the passing game. All right, so one more thing before we get you out of here this week, a basketball. It is exhibition season as women's basketball beat Emory 83-61 to on Sunday and men's basketball beat Morehouse 68-57 in their lone exhibition on Halloween Monday. A 3-for-24 night from beyond the arc meant Georgia State could never quite pull away from their D2 exhibition opponent, but they led the entire second half and pushed their advantage out to as high as 18 in the final two minutes before it settled on a final 11-point margin for the Panthers. Charleston transfer Brendan Tucker scored 20 in his first game as a Panther to lead all scorers, while fellow transfers and debutantes Jermaine Mann and Juan Odom added 13 and 10 points, respectively. Odom made it a double-double on the night with 12 rebounds as well. So, gentlemen, thoughts on that uh, Morehouse game for the men and the arena as well, since uh, Brady and I were both present. What you got? So I can't speak for the arena, but I did want to talk first as somebody who didn't watch. I look at that three-point shooting percentage. I look at the opponent and I look at the exhibition and part of me wants to be worried, but I'm not going to be worried. I think it's going to be fine. I like, I, I could understand why the, the night went as it did from a scoring perspective. I can understand that there's still some chemistry things that need to be worked out with this team. Um, and I'm sure Brady will be able to speak to that a little bit more but this is something that we had questions about coming into the season. And I don't know that even if they beat Morehouse by 200, that those questions were going to be answered in an exhibition game against any opponent, yet alone a D2 opponent. I just like the boldness of opening up as the only person who didn't watch this game. I, I appreciate that. Um, I think you're right because, you know, it was 3 of 24, and maybe there were a couple of forced looks. Um, but on the whole, there were some good offensive sets that were flowing, getting open shots in rhythm, and they just weren't falling. And so the 324, to me, isn't really that concerning yet. I think as this team develops, I think we expect offense to be the side of the ball where maybe stuff gets sorted out. And so maybe it wouldn't have been you know, 13 to 24 on a normal night, but closer to a better number than three of 24. I do not think they're going to shoot in the teens from three all season. Um, and if they hit a couple more of those, you know, if Morehouse and Georgia state trade percentages, it is a much more comfortable game and we move on. But I did like what I saw for the most part on offense outside of just, they were missing shots that they wouldn't be make, missing normally. You know, there were a handful of layups off of rebounds that right at the rim and just didn't fall. And, those are all, whether it's the crowd being there playing in front of an audience for the first time, whether it's 
still kind of working out the new arena or just getting their legs under them. It's shots that just clearly the feel wasn't there for, but if you're getting those opportunities over the course of the season, you're going to drain a lot more of those than you're not going to. And again, those would have added to the uh, ultimate final margin because that was a lot of what Georgia state was doing where, okay, they were missing shots, but they were really working the glass. And you, I, I tweeted this on at the game that, of course, the guy who's going to be one of Georgia State's primary ball handlers, Dewan Odom, his first double-double is with rebounds and points as the guard, as one of the point guards. But it was the thing where a lot of tips were happening off of mixed you know, energy was there. Guys were, if they weren't getting to the rebound, they were at least hitting up in the air, and it was coming out to the guards who were being pretty aggressive chasing after rebounds. And so you saw that at both sides of the ball. Some of that factor is that Morehouse is a D2 team and you should have a size advantage over them. And the other thing I just wanted to say is that like Morehouse came to play. Morehouse is a decent D2 team. They won 21 games last year and they brought out full court pressure after makes. They threw some zones in there. They were pushing tempo after Georgia State misses and kind of playing with a little bit of reckless abandon where they were forcing some threes and some of them went in because it was like, we're the D2 team. Like, of course, we're not going to stick to a game plan and run sets. Like if, if I get any space, I'm going to throw this up. And I think that was working for them for a couple of stretches where they got on some runs and cut into the lead. I never really felt like it was a game that was in danger. And I felt like them playing hard and them throwing a handful of concepts that Georgia State's going to see all season was a good exercise for Georgia State. And the other side of it is just, the new arena, endlessly cool. It looked cool. Uh, you know, and I will say that the pictures, both from Jordan and just some other people I knew who were there, they really look like it's going to be a good atmosphere for basketball. So I, I honestly cannot wait till I can get a chance to go see it because it's definitely high on my list of to do when I'm down there in January. The good news is, even though you have to wait till January to maybe get there, this is the only game that was not going to be broadcast on ESPN Plus. And so from the opener next Monday onwards, you're at least bit to see the arena like in live Technicolor. And it, the other thing is like it was a Halloween Monday. I think that probably hurt the possible attendance, but announced of something in the 1900s in attendance wise. And, you know, I've been to Georgia State sports arena games where attendance was about that number. And the crowd, you know, it was just, you know, whatever, sleepy midweek crowd. The sound doesn't go anywhere in this place. And I think the biggest worry you had about moving to a bigger arena is that it was going to be somehow cavernous or whatever. Not the case at all, especially with everyone being in the lower bowl and the band being there playing and cheering, like absolutely nothing but an improvement. And it's only going to get better when it's more people. And, you know, when they're filling in the upper bowl as well, like that place is going to get loud. Yeah, it, it's going to be a really good environment for a game of basketball. And I'm very excited to see it on TV. Um, and, I, you know, I'm very excited to just see the team. Like, I, you know, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. This is just such an interesting, mysterious team. There's just, you know, very few known commodities here. Um, and, you know, we think that this is a Georgia State that can still surprise some people. Um, you know, if everything goes right, but I just want to see and get a feel of where they are now. And, you know, that's going to be exciting, an exciting storyline to follow as they just kind of get through the early parts of their season and, you know, get into Sunbelt play later on in December. Yeah. I mean, next Monday, Coastal Georgia, the NAIA 
it's a step down in level and they are, you know, I said Morehouse is a decent D2 team based on record of this year and last year, Coastal Georgia, not that decent of an NAIA team. So if you were looking for a blowout win, you might get it next Monday, which works out well because that'll juice the stats nicely because that game actually counts <laughs> the stats in the regular season. But I look forward to discussing that. I mean, I don't have anything really to add on that game except hopefully see more improvement. David gets to watch it. So when we talk about it next pod, we're all going to have things to say about the game. And uh, Jonas A is still 4-0 as a head coach all time. So until he loses for the first time, he's going to have the mark that basically no coach in America has, which is having never lost a competitive college basketball game as a head coach. This, hey. That streak's going to have to go along as long as it can be. If you get through the Georgia Tech game with that, it's like great stuff, you know? Yeah, obviously he's just going to you know go undefeated this regular season and Georgia State's going to be a three seed. There it is. I put it out there. Panthers built different, man. Let's let's make it happen. <laughs> All right. So before we get you out of here this week, let's bring back an old friend, Sports Bits. We weren't present on Sunday for the women's basketball exhibition, but as we said earlier, the women defeated Crosstown opponent Emory 83 to 61 in the first outing for uh, Coach Gene Hill's squad in the new Convocation Center. Senior guard Cameron Zayak led the scoring effort with 15 points, with sophomore guard Michaela Tullivert putting up 14 points along with five rebounds and four steals. The women are back in action on Monday, November 7th against Agnes Scott, tipping off at 5.30 p.m. before the men face the College of Coastal Georgia at 8. Women's soccer defeated Georgia Southern 1-0 in the Sunbelt Conference quarterfinal to advance to their fifth straight semifinal appearance. The Panthers began the tournament as the eighth seed, while Georgia Southern was seeded first. Men's soccer will begin Sunbelt tournament play on Sunday as the three seed when they face sixth seed Old Dominion in Huntington, West Virginia. And there's much more going on in Georgia State Athletics that we don't have time to discuss right now. So be sure to check the composite schedule on the athletics website at georgiastatesports.com slash calendar to see everything past, present, and future. But that is all the time we have for this week. We'll be reporting on the action this weekend versus Southern Miss and on Monday night when the men face Coastal Georgia. But until then, have a great week and go Panthers.